Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. We're busy going through the book of Nehemiah. We have been for a, for a couple of months now. And um, I really love the book of Nehemiah for a couple of different reasons. But one of the reasons is the book of Nehemiah is both, uh, Nehemiah himself is, is, is deeply spiritual and deeply practical at the same time. And, and that's important for us because um, in our lives, our lives are also very spiritual and very practical. There are lots of spiritual issues in our lives, but there are also lots of very practical issues in our lives. And it's not one or the other. We need, we need both. But the problem is sometimes, like, unlike Nehemiah, we fail to harmonize the spiritual and the practical. And we either super spiritual or we're unspiritual. And, and, and Nehemiah is neither. His spirituality doesn't make him less practical. And his practicality, his good management doesn't make him less spiritual. And unlike you know, us, we sometimes think we have to choose between those two. I mean, you know, sometimes I suppose it's also, you know, sort of what the world sort of imposes on us. You know, the world often talks about people who are so spiritually minded, they have no earthly, they're so heavenly minded, they have no earthly good. The reality is the only way we will truly be of genuine, lasting, and wholesome earthly good is if we are actually heavenly minded. But, but heavenly minded in the, in, the, in the right way, in the same way that, that Nehemiah was. So in Nehemiah... So I'm going to just be talking about um, how Nehemiah meets a threat. But in Nehemiah 2 verse 12, uh, Nehemiah mentions that my God had put something on my heart to, to do for Jerusalem. And, and there we see already, and he went from Persia, sent by the Persian king after praying a lot and God intervening and, and touching the Persian king's heart. He, he gets sent by the Persian king with resources to go to Jerusalem to go and rebuild the city walls. Um, and he talks about what God had placed on my heart to do for the city of Jerusalem. And there we already see the, both the, the deep spirituality and the deep practicality of, of Nehemiah. He, he heard from God. God had spoken to him. God had laid certain things on his heart. But it was things, very practical things to do, to build a wall around Jerusalem and to restore Jerusalem uh, to a safe city for the people of God to dwell in. Um, so, you know, if we do what um, our God has put on our hearts, like Nehemiah, and we, you know, and, and we do it as part of God's people, then, then we will also experience the kind of opposition that Nehemiah experienced. We shouldn't be surprised when there's opposition. And we, we looked last week at, at how in, in Nehemiah uh, 4, verse 1 to 6, how Nehemiah experienced opposition. But it was opposition in the form of ridicule to try and discourage him. But now his enemies come and they escalate the opposition from ridicule to threats of physical violence. And, and that's what we're going to um, look at um, this, this morning. So I, I just want you to notice sort of three things. There, there, there are um, three points I want you to notice. The first two points actually repeat themselves. So point one, point two, and then again point one, point two, and then there's a third point. Um, the first thing is we must learn 
what we can learn from Nehemiah, I'm just going to say it up front and then I'll sort of unpack it. We must learn to listen to warnings. We must learn to listen well. We must learn to listen even to things that we don't want to hear. Okay, that's one of the first things that we learn from Nehemiah. The second thing is, and I'm going to try and put it in the, in the words of, of Nehemiah, we must pray to God and set a God. We must pray to God and post a God. Okay, because that's what Nehemiah does. And, and, and that again shows us the, the spiritual and the practical. Spiritual, he prays to God, but then he posts a God. You know, soldiers and stuff. Um, the, the, the practical. And then we must continue to build ASAP. So as I read through this passage, see if you can see those, those sections. So it says, But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, and that's what we read about last week, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. How did Nehemiah know about this? How could he write it down and report it? He'd obviously listened. He'd heard the reports. He'd heard the warnings. Then verse 9 says, But we prayed to our God and posted a God day and night to meet this threat. And, And I think... What Nehemiah does here is brilliant example of how to meet the threat. Then verse 10 goes on. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. So now he's listening again to warnings and to bad reports. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them, that's near the enemies, came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So again, bad reports. Then verse 13 says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall and at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. You know, don't be afraid of the enemies. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. So there again we see, remember the Lord, praying to God, and fight, post to God. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. So, Lord God, we just thank you for your word and that your word is living and powerful and that your word is practical and that we can learn things that we can apply in everyday life. Thank you that your word is more relevant to us than the, than the, the, the newest self-help book or the, the latest um, newspaper or magazine. And we just pray, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you'll come and apply this relevant word to our hearts and lives uh, this morning in Jesus' name. Okay, so let's, let's have a look at that. First, uh, we see that Nehemiah's uh, enemies mentioned in, in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, um, it mentions Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, um, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod. These enemies, if you go and look on the map, now I, I didn't put up a map, but if, if you had a map of Jerusalem, um, Sambalat was from Samaria. He was the governor of Samaria, which was north of Jerusalem. Um, Tobiah and the Ammonites were on the east. 
the Arabs were on the south in the, in the Arabian desert in the, in the south, and Ashdod and the people of Ashdod was, were to the west. So north, east, south, west, they were surrounded by the enemies. And, and if you notice... Um, if you've been tracking with us through the first four chapters of Nehemiah, you'd see that first it was just Sambalat and Tobiah that were mentioned. Later on, Gershom the Arab comes along. And now the people of Ashdod are added as well. The enemies are increasing. They're multiplying. They're growing like weeds. And now they're surrounding them on all sides. Can you see now why we, I mean, I didn't plan it that way, but why we sang that song when it seems like I'm surrounded, when it looks like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. And why these words of being surrounded by God came out. Because often our, we feel like that. We feel like our enemies are surrounding us on every side. And God is wanting to encourage us and say to us, yes, your enemies might surround you. But they can never surround you as closely and as completely as I can surround you. And, and that's why later on, Nehemiah says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. <laughs> he surrounds you more than your enemies surround you. Take courage. Be encouraged. So, um, Jerusalem's enemies were more powerful than her, and they were surrounding her on all sides. And, and, and worse yet, um, these enemies that usually didn't get along with one another were all plotting together because they had Jerusalem as a common enemy to, to destroy Jerusalem and, and to make trouble for her. Um, and how did Nehemiah allow all this? He'd listen to the warnings. So the first thing is listen. When you hear stuff, I mean, it's not nice to hear that your enemies are surrounding you. It's not nice to hear that they are plotting against you. It's not nice to hear that there are threats. But we need to hear the stuff we don't want to hear if we want to respond appropriately. You see, the decisions we make in life is, are only as good as the information we base, base those decisions on. In order to make great decisions, we need accurate information. And in order to have accurate information, we need to listen. We need to listen. Um, in fact, let me just, uh, I can just find it on my phone. I, I had a few quotes. Um, someone I think who says this very well is, is Andy Stanley. I, I quite um, like his leadership stuff. His, his, his leadership um, teachings are, are better to me than his, his preaching. Um, so listen to his leadership podcast. Good leadership stuff there. Uh, he says, as leaders, what we want to hear least is generally what we need to hear most. That's true. That's true. The reality is none of us want to give or receive negative feedback. None of us want to. But we need to if we want to make great decisions, um, accurate decisions. Um, so, clearly he'd listened to the warnings. So he'd heard about these threats. So, so how did he deal with this escalating threat from his opponents? Well, the Bible tells us. It says, but we prayed to our God and set a God. We prayed to our God and posted a God. That's what he did. And, and in that short, simple sentence of how he tells us how he meets this threat, he gives us probably one of the best 
pieces of advice in all of history how to meet a threat to yourself if you're part of the people of God. So let's just look at that. Nehemiah um, and the Jews prayed to God and they said to God, they, they met the threat both spiritually and practically. Okay? They met it spiritually and practically. Let's, let's look at, at how they prayed to God and, and, and what that tells us. Um, If you've been reading, if you've been following with us through Nehemiah, you'd notice that Nehemiah prayed as almost a knee-jerk reaction to anything that went wrong or anything that went right. And it's, 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 you know, whenever there are problems, he just cried out to God. Whenever there were challenges, whenever there were concerns, he just cried out to God in prayer, like a, like a, a, a children being threatened, you know, cry out to their father, or, or animals being threatened, you know, call out to their, to their mother. It was like a knee-jerk reaction. And, and I really sense, and, and I was so glad that it was confirmed through the words that were brought, that God wants us to develop that childlike knee-jerk reaction of prayer, of just automatically, almost without thinking about it, just crying out to Him in prayer. It, it should be the most natural thing for us to do. We shouldn't hold back. We should, we should be so aware of His presence and we be, should be so aware of our, our helplessness and his greatness that, that we just automatically and immediately cry out to him like Nehemiah um, and the Israelites did. Um, notice it says we cried out, we prayed to our God. We prayed to our God. Now, now that implies that he's our God, not their God. He's our God, not our enemy's God. Now, the word, the phrase our God can be used in two different ways. You can say that God is our God because He created us and He's the only true God. And in that, that sense, anyone can say God is our God because everyone is created by God and God is the only true God, whether they worship Him or not. Okay? So in that sense, everyone can say He's our God. But what they're saying here is He's our God in a more special, more specific way. He's our God, not only because He created us and He's the only true God, but He's our God because we acknowledge Him as such and we serve Him as such. And that is the sense in which this says we pray to our God, the God we acknowledge. And that's why we pray to Him, because He's our God. We submit to Him. We serve Him. We are His children. And that's why we boldly cry out to Him and ask Him for help. Because He's our God. So, if we want to be able to pray to God the way that Israel, the Jews, prayed to God under Nehemiah, He needs to be our God in the same sense that He was their God. So, it says we pray to our God. Um, and... Um, you know, I want you to notice something that is implied by the text, but that I think is really powerful. The power of our prayer is directly proportional to the power of our God. The power of our prayer is directly proportional to the power of our God, and that makes the power of our prayer great and awesome, because our God is great and awesome. I just want to hammer this home. <laughs> okay. The power of our prayer is not directly proportional to the intensity of our prayer. The power of our prayer is not directly proportional to the intensity of our efforts. 
The power of our prayer is not even directly proportional to the power or the strength of our faith. What matters here is not primarily the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith. The God that you're praying to. I mean, just notice in the Bible how many prayers there are that are weak prayers. I mean, Jesus even says to his disciples when they call out to him, you know, why do you have such little faith? And yet their little faith calling out to Jesus still silences the storm. Yet their little faith calling out to God still leads to massive miracles and massive victories. Our faith is small. If the power of our prayers depended on the power of our faith, it wouldn't be very discouraging. It wouldn't be very encouraging. It would actually be very discouraging, right? But it doesn't. The power of our prayers depends on the power of our God that we pray to. And He's great and awesome. And therefore our prayers are as well. Uh, So they prayed, he says, we prayed to our God and we posted a God. Now the aim of a God is twofold. The aim of a God is to see a threat and then to defend against the threat. Now the problem we have, and I'll I'll dig into this a little bit deeper um, you know, as I can, as we go on, is that sometimes we think, if I pray to my God, why must I post a God? If, if I pray to God and I really trust Him and He's going to defend me, why should I post a God to see the threat and defend against the threat? Sometimes we think that, right? We do. Am I the only one or, or, or do we sometimes struggle with that um, relationship between the two? And notice it says, they posted a God, he posted a God day and night. A God, and, and, and here I want you to just see how practical and how thorough Nehemiah is. He's deeply practical and thorough. A, a God is only useful as long as it stands and as long as it's vigilant, as long as it's keeping watch. In other words, a God is like a, a chain. It's, the chain is only as strong as the weakest link, and so the God is only as, as strong as, the, that, that they post is only as strong as the weakest link. If there are three hours in the morning where, you're not, not, where the God is not, you know, where they're asleep, then the enemy can come in and destroy the whole city. But Nehemiah made sure, I mean, just notice how practical he is here. He doesn't just post a God, he makes sure that he posts a God day and night, that the chain is unbroken. Now, notice that they met the threat by praying to God and posting a God. They do both. They don't just do one or the other. The one represents what God does, sorry, the one represents what we ask from God, we ask God to do, and the other one represents what we do ourselves. And where we sometimes struggle to see the relationship between the two and how, you know, how they relate to one another, Nehemiah clearly didn't. He does this seamlessly. These are in complete harmony for him. He has no you know, there's no contradiction, there's no clash, there's no struggle of how to relate the two to one another. So, another way of looking at it is divine sovereignty and human responsibility. How do those relate to one another? Sometimes we struggle to relate them to one another. Nehemiah clearly didn't. He had a great balance between the two. He doesn't say, because God is sovereign, there we have no, therefore we have no responsibility. Or, the opposite, because we have freedom of choice and responsibility, therefore God cannot be sovereign and, you know, I must just take care of myself. He doesn't do either of those two where we sometimes struggle to harmonize these two biblical realities, and both of them are biblical realities, Nehemiah clearly didn't. So how do these two things 
relate to one another? How can we find that biblical balance that Nehemiah had? Sometimes we do it like this. We say, I either pray or I post. It's one or the other. I remember once um, my brother and I went um, to visit someone. Uh, and we, we was in Stellenbosch and we were riding on our bikes. And we came to the house. We had our bikes there, but we didn't have chains for the bikes. So we said to the, uh, uh, to the lady, um, yeah, can, we, can we put our you know, bicycles in your garage? We don't have like, chains like to you know, chain them to a pole or something. And, and, and she said to us, where's your faith? <laughs> where's your faith? What, what, is, what is the assumption, the belief that's underlying that question? The belief is, if you truly have faith, you can just leave your bicycle to lie outside because you're trusting God is going to protect it and no one's going to steal it. Is that what Nehemiah did? No. That's seeing praying and posting as praying to God and posting a God as mutually exclusive. Either you do the one or you do the other. But you can't do both. I mean, we, we, we had a great example now as well where, where, where Lucy was sharing with us. I mean, in medicine, you know, and healing, it's, it's the same thing, you know. Do I pray for healing or do I go to the doctor? As though you have to choose between the two. As though if you go to the doctor, your prayers are not going to work anymore. I mean, as though God cannot use the doctor. As though if you go to the doctor, you don't truly have faith. And, and I, I don't think the Bible anywhere tells us that those are mutually exclusive. You, you can do both. And in fact, I believe the Bible says you should do both. Uh, obviously, there's a place. If you've prayed for something and you say, okay, I don't want to use the medication so I can see if my prayers have actually worked, by all means. But, I mean, do that responsibly. Um, and don't think that using medicine is, is an act of unbelief. It's not. Just like posting a God is not an act of unbelief. When, when Nehemiah and the Jews posted a God, they weren't undoing their prayers to God. Right? But sometimes we, we, we like getting super spiritual like this, you know, and thinking that they're mutually exclusive. Another way of looking at it is saying, well, okay, um, you know, I see prayer as a little bit bigger, so, you know, they sort of overlap. I pray and I post. You know, and, and, I, and I pray, and there's some, some of what I pray for affects you know, the God that I post, and God uses the God that I, that I, that I post. But, but I think even that is not completely right. Another way of seeing it is like, you know, it's basically the same thing. God only, I mean, I pray, but God only uses the God that I post. He, he, he does nothing out, out, outside of it. Here I still see there's something that God does in, in addition to you know, the God that I post. But here it's like, you know, I better post a God because otherwise God can't do anything, you know, because, you know, my, my praying only affects the God that I, uh, God, God only um, uses the God that I post, you know. He only works through people. He does nothing more. But I think the picture is more like this. I think prayer is a lot bigger than we think. I think it looks like this. I think prayers, our prayers, affect a lot more than we realize. I think God does a lot more through our prayers than we realize. And part of what He does is He uses the God that we post. 
and our prayers to strengthen and make the gods that we post more alert and they don't fall asleep and they're more effective and, and, and he strengthens them and he gives them grace and so on. But he also does a lot outside and apart from the God that we post. In other words, here, here's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah prayed and then he didn't just plan as though God was going to answer his prayer, but he planned and acted as though God was going to answer or at least partially answer his prayer through him. That God was going to answer his prayer through the God that he posts and then do things in addition to the God that he posts. And that, you see, our view of prayer is too small. It's way too small. Because our view of God is too small. We think that God either works for us or he works through us. But he works for us, with us, and through us. All at the same time. It's not mutually exclusive. Okay, um, then we go, as we go on to the, to, the, to the next sort of section, verse 10, it says, uh, Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, and yet we, Nehemiah has to start listening to, to, um, to, to warnings and to, to negative feedback again. Um, you know, the strength of the labors are giving in. There's too much rubble. We won't be able to rebuild. The enemies are threatening to come and attack and kill them. And the Jews close by are, are, are scared and, and, and all nervous. And in Nehemiah 4, verse 10 to 12, we, we get a whole list of, of warnings and negative feedback, followed by the Jews' response in verse 13 and 14. Now, um, let, me, let me put it to you this way. If I had to summarize it, I'd summarize it like this. Verse 10, Judah said. Verse 11, the enemy said. Verse 12, the Jews who lived near the enemy said. Verse 14, I, Nehemiah, said what God said. Okay? So we're just going to look at that. You know, often negative reports from within can be as demoralizing as threats from without. Um, but the reality is we need to hear that negative feedback. We don't like giving or receiving negative feedback. So we tend to filter to one another what we say to one another. Because we don't like giving negative feedback. And we don't like receiving negative feedback. And we know because we don't like receiving negative feedback, people that we, want to, that we need to give the negative feedback to don't like receiving it as well. You know? So, so we, we just sort of try and cut out negative feedback. But we can't. You know, like, like I said, that, that Andy Stanley quote, as leaders, what we want to hear least is generally what we need to hear most. And in some sense or another, each of us is a leader. Whether, whether you're at least only leading yourself you know, you are a leader. Uh, listen to this um, that Stanley says. He says, in order to make great decisions, we need accurate information, and the only way to get it is to listen. And then he says, leaders who refuse to listen will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing helpful to say. People watch how we respond to negative feedback, and then they decide whether they'll give us negative feedback in the future. The, with the U.S. presidential election, it was so funny to see. Um, it was, who, who were the people? Hillary Clinton and um, Donald Trump, you know, were running against each other. Uh, Hillary Clinton being the Democratic um, representative uh, and candidate, being on the very liberal side of the political spectrum, and Donald Trump being the Republican candidate and on, on, on the, the conservative spectrum. Um, both very non-Christian and unchristian. So it's not like you can say the one is Christian, the other one's not. Donald Trump claims to be Christian, but if you look at his life and you listen to what he says, 
you can see he has no idea. He's conservative, but he's not a Christian. Conservative doesn't mean Christian, just by the way. Uh, it's not synonymous. But anyway, they were running against each other. And most of them, Fox Media is conservative, more Republican. And most of the others, like CNN, are liberal. And it was astonishing to see how rattled and surprised the liberal media were when Trump eventually won. Why were they so surprised? Why were they so flabbergasted? I'll tell you why. Because, and there's even a technical term they've, they've gotten for it, they call it an echo chamber. They've created an echo chamber for themselves where they surrounded themselves with people who only say what they wanted to hear. And they were sort of rah rahing and saying, we're going to win, you know, we're the best, you know, everything is supporting us, we're right. And, and they were, and, and, and on social media this happens because whatever, you know, links and stuff you click on, whatever posts you look at, social media, like Facebook and so on, finds posts that are like that and that agree with that and they give you more such posts. So you end up, it ends up becoming an echo chamber where you only hear and read what you want to hear and read and you get surrounded by people who all agree with you and tell you what you already believe and it sort of strengthens you in your, your belief that you are right and that everyone agrees with you. And you've just created an echo chamber. And, and what Nehemiah does is he doesn't create an echo chamber. He listens to feedback that is uncomfortable, unpleasant, and that is negative feedback, and that he, in the natural, I'm sure, didn't really want to hear. You know? But we so often go like this, like we do the, the ostrich defense. La, 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 la. I can't hear anything. You know? The ostrich defense is, if I can't see the threat, it's not there. <laughs> okay? And how often do we use the ostrich defense? I'm just going to ignore this. It's not there. You know? doesn't work. It's, it's, it's unwise. Unless we, uh, <clears throat> unless we listen to negative feedback, we can't make great decisions. Okay, so having said that, though, you know, we should always speak the truth in love and bring an, a positive attitude. Um, so it's one thing saying, okay, I, I must be willing, I must have the courage to give negative feedback. But I must also have the compassion to give that feedback in the right way. I must speak the truth in love. It's not one or the other. It's not I must be, speak the truth or I must be loving. I must do both. Speak the truth in love. Um, in other words, we must give negative feedback, but we must do it with a positive attitude. We must do it in the most encouraging way and most loving way possible. We must try and um, bring a, a positive attitude to, to work. I, I, I once read a, or just sort of heard a, a talk by a guy who wrote a book uh, called um, um, how to lead when you're not in charge or something like that. And he, and he was saying that all of us have to lead whether we're in charge or not. In some way or another, all of us have to lead. So how do you lead when you're not in charge? You know, when, when you're just sort of a team member and not like the, the guy at the top. Uh, and, he, and he says one of the ways that you lead when you're not in charge is, and he actually said it in this way, he said, the, the, the most important thing I bring to my workplace is my positive attitude and my positive energy. And I lead the rest of the team through my positive example, my positive attitude. And, and we should all do that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't um, actually be real and, 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 and you know, avoid the negative um, feedback. So faith is a type of learned optimism based on an awareness that God is with us and God is for us. So people of faith will naturally be optimistic, but not in themselves or in their situation, but in their God. So even when you're bringing a bad report, you can be quite optimistic and say, things aren't great, 
but God is good. <laughs> Our God, remember the Lord, He's great and awesome. And, and that's the kind of approach we should have. Brutally honest about what's wrong, but doggedly hopeful in God. And that's, that's the balance we need to, to try and strike. Okay, so um, here's the thing, you know, Nehemiah um, listens to the, to the, the enemies, uh, you know, to the, to the people of Israel, and, and they say, listen, there's too much rubble we can't build. We're getting tired, and there's too much rubble we can't build. And I'm sure he remembered what he's recorded in, in chapter 2, verse 12, which I read to you. God had placed something on my heart to do for Jerusalem. And where God guides, He provides. Where God guides, if God guides me to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, then He's going to provide the people who can do it, some, even when they sometimes feel they can do it, they were provided by God, so they can do it. And secondly, he'll provide the resources that we need, because where God guides, he provides. And if I'm following God, he will give what I, what I need. Um, and then it says, the enemy's threatened. They threatened, firstly, a surprise attack. You know, before they see us, we'll be among them. And then it says, and we will kill them, threat to the people, and we'll put an end to the work. So it's a big threat. Okay, but I wonder why, you know, they sort of <laughs> reported this threat, you know, if they really wanted to do a surprise attack, you know. Why did they make sure that the Jews heard of it? I think actually they were just trying to threaten them. You know, I, I, I played a bit of chess. I, nowadays I don't get that much time to do it. But, you know, one of the guys uh, I watched giving a chess lesson, he said, often in chess the threat is more effective than the execution. Because often you, 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 chess is based on the principle of developing multiple threats on, on one single point. Okay? Until the opponent cannot meet all the threats at, at once. It's just too, too many threats. But, but often the opponent will make a wrong move be, just because you're threatening something. You're, you're not even pulling the trigger yet. You're just threatening something and they'll make a, a bad move and you can, you can exploit that weakness. And often that's what the devil does. He knows that the threat is often more effective than the execution. So often he'll just develop all kinds of threats and try and to get us to lose our nerve and make a mistake. Don't lose your nerve. Trust in God. Remember the Lord and fight for your family. <laughs> okay, where were we? Okay. So, um, here's the worst part about the enemy. The enemy is a terrorist. Just like these enemies of Nehemiah, our enemy is also a terrorist. He doesn't only attack us and he doesn't only threaten us, but he threatens those who are near and dear to us. So he says to the, these, this coalition this, uh, of Sambalat, they say to the Jews living near them, listen, if, they, if you don't stop them building the wall, we're going to attack you. Isn't that a typical terrorist strategy, right? They don't, the enemy doesn't fight clean, you know, they, they fight dirty. And, and the enemy will not only attack us, but attack those who are near and dear to us. And then we are often cowed into submission. Oh, you know, I can take it, but I, don't touch my children. Okay, fine, I'll give in, you know, because, you know, you, you're attacking my children. No, no. What are you teaching your children if you give in when the enemy threatens them? You are teaching them to give in. They must learn to exercise faith with you. Just like you need to exercise faith for your safety and for, to trust in God, so you need to, by your example, not only for yourself, but for them, model faith and teach them how to exercise faith. The only way we're going to make it in life is through faith. So, 
Um, I, I almost laugh when I read this, you know, the Jews living near the enemies told us 10 times over, <laughs> you know, you can hear they like insisting, you know, they like, oh, they're so nervous, you know, but they need to exercise um, their own faith as well. Now, here I just want to say about the negative reports. Nehemiah is living in a story that he's not writing. If we lived in stories, and we're also living, by the way, in stories that we're not writing. Okay? If we lived in stories that we were writing, it would be very boring stories. <laughs> and Henny was born, and Henny was just awesome. And nothing bad ever happened to Henny. And Henny just overcame in everything because Henny was just awesome. And there was no opposition ever, and everything was just smooth sailing for Henny. What a boring story. <laughs> There's an old um, English proverb, a smooth sea never made for a skilled sailor. And God wants to develop skilled sailors. So he doesn't give us smooth seas. You see, prayer recognizes that we are part of a story that we are not writing. And when we pray, we connect with the author and say, what are you busy doing? And what do you want me to do? And Nehemiah did that. It turns your life into adventure into something spectacular that you're not in control of, but that God is in control of. And, that, and you pray to the God who is the author and who is in control. And then it goes on and it says, um, therefore I stationed some... Therefore I stationed some uh, people behind the lowest point in the wall at the exposed places, posting them by family with their swords, spears and bows. And here I just want you again, just to reinforce this, just to see the amazing practicality of Nehemiah. He responds to all these negative reports by posting uh, people, stationing people to guard the walls. And, and, and he does it, just notice how thoughtful he is in his leadership. He posts them at the lowest points in the walls, in other words, where the walls hadn't been built up enough, and was at the most vulnerable places. He posts people there. And then it says, um, at the exposed places, that's not the best translation. What it means is, I mean, they were complaining there's too much rubble, you know, we can't build because there's too much rubble. The rubble was just lying around all the place. Exposed places, just say, means the places where the rubble had been cleared out. You know, where there was a bit of space for the people to move, you know, to actually, you know, muster a, a defense. So, so, you know, the open places where there wasn't too much rubble. And then it says, and he posted them by family. And we've seen him do this before. Why did he post them by family? Because if you're fighting next to your family, you're going to fight harder. Your family that, that you're fighting with and next to is a constant reminder of what you're fighting for. And you're going to fight more fiercely when you fight next to your family. But then he also says, with spears, swords, and bows. In other words, he equipped them. So he placed them at the most vulnerable places, at the places where they could actually, where there's space to move around. He placed them by family so they fight more fiercely, and he placed them with the equipment they needed to, to muster a, a defense. Can you see how practical he is? Can you see how thoughtful he is as a leader? Just because he prays doesn't mean he doesn't think about what he's supposed to do. These are not mutually exclusive. We have to do both. Um, but note also that he says right after that in verse 14, and this is to me one of the most powerful verses in this whole section. He says, after I looked things over, you know, leaders listen and they look. They look before they lead. And I already said something about that in a previous session, so I'm not going to say something again. It says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, 
Don't be afraid of them, the enemies. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Notice, uh, if I can just find this, here we go. Notice the parallel between Nehemiah 14 verse, 4 verse 14 and Deuteronomy 7 verse 21. He says, after I looked things over, uh, I said to them, don't be afraid. And in, in, in Deuteronomy it says, don't be terrified of them, the enemies. Okay? Remember the Lord, for the Lord your God. Um, and, then it says, and then it says, who is great and awesome. And it says, who is among you is great and awesome. And then it says, and fight for your families. Can you see the parallel? Can you see that Nehemiah has Deuteronomy 7 verse 21 in mind when he speaks to the people? Notice, it doesn't say, and after I looked things over, I took the scroll and said to them, don't be afraid. <laughs> Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. It says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to them. He didn't read this. He didn't take out his Bible and read it to them. He had memorized it. He had memorized it. In other words, the implication here is that you cannot remember the Lord, really remember the Lord, unless you really remember His Word. One of the main ways to remember the Lord is to remember His Word. And then when you need His Word, he did, you know, Nehemiah didn't just weaponize and equip the people that he stationed behind the walls to defend it. He equipped himself to lead by remembering, to, by memorizing the Word of God. You know, when it talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in, in, in Ephesians 6, there are two words for word used in the Bible. Logos, which generally tends to refer more to written word or to Jesus and so on. And then rhema, which is more like message or word. It doesn't use logos when it says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It uses rhema. In other words, the sword of your Spirit is, is the word that you've memorized. It's not, not your Bible. This, this, this thing isn't your sword. Hello, this is not your sword. The sword is the portion of this that you got in here and in here. That's your sword. So some of us have like a needle of the Spirit. We're going to prick the enemy, you know. And others have a pocket knife of the Spirit, you know. And we're going to try and, you know, go into battle with that. But then some of you guys have like a Makulu broadsword. Because you've got a lot of word here and here, and you, you, the enemy's scared of you. Because <laughs> we've got to memorize scripture. Isn't that the word? Who brought the word? Was it Chantal? You see, you see now why the Lord led you to bring that word about. We mustn't forget God's word. God's saying the same thing over to us so that we will get the point. We need to memorize his word. If we want to lead like Nehemiah, we need to memorize scripture like Nehemiah. But not only that, look at this. This, this to me is powerful. Nehemiah basically encourages the Jews rebuilding Jerusalem. Now, this is in around 500, 400, 500 before Christ. They'd returned from Babylonian exile after 70 years. Uh, this is now even a couple of decades after that. They're rebuilding the walls. And he quotes Moses 
hundreds of years before that, leading the Israelites into the promised land for the first time. Deuteronomy is the book, Deutero means second and nomos means law. So it's the second giving of the law. It was after they'd wandered 40 years in the desert and the old generation had sort of died out and the younger generation was standing for the second time on the, on the verge of the promised land. And he gives them the law for the second time. And that's when he said to, to them, listen, your forefathers were afraid of these enemies. They were terrified of these enemies, and it caused them to not trust in God because they didn't remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. All they saw was the enemies. They didn't see God. Instead of telling the enemies how big their God is, they were telling their God how big their enemies are. And, and, and we're saying, don't make that same mistake. Don't be terrified of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and He will lead you into the promised land to, to conquer the promised land because, yes, even though your enemies are great and they are greater than you, I mean, realistically, they're going to beat you because they're stronger than you. But your God is greater than your enemies. Don't forget that. Now he's saying this. Nehemiah is quoting this from a few hundred years before in a very different context. What does that tell you? That tells you not only that you must memorize Scripture, but that that Scripture that Nehemiah had memorized that he was now quoting to the Jews a few hundred years later in a very different context. Similar, but different. If Nehemiah could claim that promise given by Moses, then so can we. If you are part of God's people doing God's will, then you can also claim Deuteronomy 7 verse 21 and say, I will not be afraid of my enemies. I will remember the Lord because He is great and awesome. What does it mean that He's great and awesome? It means even though our enemies are surrounding us on north, east, south, and west, like we saw in the beginning of, of Nehemiah 4 verse 7, they're surrounding us. God is surrounding us more because He's bigger than them. He's not just surrounding us at a distance on north, east, south, and west. He's among us. That's what it says here in Deuteronomy. Do not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God who is among you He's surrounding not only you corporately, but you individually. He's, he's around you and between you. He's everywhere because he's great. And not only is he great, but he's awesome. <laughs> he's big. He's scarier than the scariest enemy you will ever face. And he's with you. Like I said last week, I love this quote that I saw. You know, when, when I look to myself, I cannot see how I can be saved. But when I look to God, when I look to Jesus, I cannot see how I can be lost. Because he's that great and awesome. He's that great and awesome. Can I have a few more minutes just to finish up? Is that right? Sorry. <laughs> I don't want to take too long, but um, it says, remember the Lord and fight. Notice here, remember the Lord and fight for your families. And that's parallel to praying to God and posting a God. Okay? And I just want you to see that this is not... Just once that this happens. I mean, this is all over the place. Here we go. Uh, in, in, in chapter Nehemiah 1, he prays, and then in Nehemiah 2, he acts. Okay? In Nehemiah 2, verse 4 uh, and 5, it says, Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. I prayed towards God, and then I did something practical. I, I answered the king. And I answered the king in a way we saw last time. He prepared that answer very well. He thought through it. He planned very well. He knew exactly what he needed to ask for in terms of resources. Nehemiah 4, verse 4 to 6. Uh, in verse 4, it, it says, uh, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. And then just a verse later, two verses later, it says, So we rebuilt the wall, praying and acting. 
Um, Nehemiah 4 verse 14, uh, sorry, 4 verse 9, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard. Nehemiah 4 verse 14, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. Note that each time the same two elements appear in the same order. Trusting prayer to God followed by responsible action by his people. I'm wanting to hammer this home because I really want us to get this because I think sometimes we get it wrong as Christians, because sometimes we have wrong ideas about how God works in his world, that he works apart from us, and we forget that he works through us, he works around us, he works with us. God is so much bigger than we realize, so much bigger than we think. Okay, um, let, me, let me just draw out an implication of this, and I actually wanted to say more on this, but I'm going to sum this up very... If, what, what would it say about us if we only prayed or if we only posted a God? If we only prayed, then we would be forgetting that God doesn't just work for us and with us, but through us, okay? And it'll make us passive, which is bad, okay? But if we get faith, I'm sorry, it's like fatalistic. It's a fatalistic view of of reality, and it, it makes us passive. But if we only post to God, we deny that God works at all, and it only depends on us. Now, if you really think about that, it will crush you because you'll realize that, man, I'm not wise enough to make all the right decisions. I'm not strong enough, even if I make the right decisions, to execute them properly. I'm not disciplined enough. If, if, if it only depends on me, I'm, I'm in so much trouble. I cannot be the general manager of my universe. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. Okay? I mean, just think back 10 or 20 years, depending on how old you are, and think about how many bad decisions you made back then. Okay? What percentage of the decisions you made and the things that you did were actually the right things and were actually good for you? 30%? 50%? Let's be optimistic. <laughs> now, now, think about that. If that were true 10 or 20 years ago, when you're looking back in 10 or 20 years from now to yourself today, where will you rate yourself? What percentage of the decisions you make and the things that you do are actually what's best for you? If God always gives us what we ask for in prayer, or if God only leaves us to ourselves, we are in so much trouble. In other words, if, if we only post to God, if we're only active, it depends only on us. It will paralyze us if we think about it. It will paralyze us with fear. If everything that happens to me only depends on me, that would paralyze me in fear. So, so the one option, just praying, leads to passivity, and the other one leads to paralysis. But the Bible is so beautiful because it brings those two together and says it ultimately depends on God, but it doesn't work apart from our efforts, but through our efforts and through the efforts of other people in ways that we cannot even control. So yes, we have a contribution to make. Or, or let's say God makes a contribution through us. But he doesn't stop there. He also does things apart from us. And ultimately depends on him. Um, I just want to share a few scriptures around that. Um, you know, the relationship between God, what God does and what we do. Proverbs 16 verse 1. I'm, I'm just going to basically read through them. I, don't know, I cannot say too much about them. It says, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So notice here, we genuinely make our plans. It's our plans. We're responsible for it. But ultimately what we say comes from the Lord, okay? Uh, verse 3 of, of Proverbs 16, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. We plan, 
But if we're in prayer, commit our works to the Lord, then the Lord establishes our plan. But he establishes them better than we could have. Because the wrong planning that he does, he graciously also changes. Verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. Can you see the same thing again? Genuinely our plans, but God actually determines our path and how we actually walk it. Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13, work out your own salvation. There's something that we do, but it's a working out, not working for. It doesn't say work for your own salvation, please. It says work out your own salvation, for it's God who works in you. We work out what God works in. For God works in you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Can you start to see the relationship between what God does and what we do? Between praying to God and posting a God? I think it's very powerful. So then in in closing, I just want to say, we must continue building as soon as possible. Um, And notice when they start building, Nehemiah gives credit to God. Even though he didn't just pray, but he also posted a God. He says, when the enemies heard that God had frustrated their plan. And he gives all the credit and all the praise to God. God had frustrated their plans. So anyway, I think I'm going to stop there. I think I've said enough. The main thing I want you to get, the main thing I want you to get is listen to warnings. Listen to feedback, even if it's not pleasant, even if you don't want to hear it, even if you don't like to hear it. And then pray to God and post to God and continue building as soon as possible. That is, that is what Nehemiah does, and, and I think it's a, it's a great example to us. If, if, if it was important for Nehemiah to keep building the wall after they'd met the threat from the enemies, and, and, and they were just building with inanimate stones, but as we saw last week, you know, it says, uh, Sambalat, you know, sarcastically says, are they able to bring these dead stones to life again? Which sort of, in his sarcastic rhetorical question, is actually ironically prophesying Jesus who in First Peter 2 is the one the living stone who makes us living stones and, and when we build the wall we build with living stones, with people and it was important for Nehemiah to meet the opposition meet the threats that were against him, that, because the devil's always going to try and stop what God is doing and he was just building with normal natural stones, how much more important is that for us who are building with living stones who have not Nehemiah as our leader, but Jesus Christ as our leader. How much more important is that for us? So I, I just want you to, um, I just want you to, to close your eyes. There are certain decisions we can make in the moment, but it's better sometimes if we make certain decisions before. And the, the decision of how you're going to respond to opposition, to threats, to attacks is a decision you can make now. And I want you to make that decision now and say, God, I'm not going to be soft. I'm not going to be weak. And I'm not going to try and do everything in my own strength. But I'm also not going to be super spiritual and only pray as though you don't want to involve me in the defense. I'm going to listen to negative feedback, but then I'm going to pray to God and I'm going to post to God. So I want you to just close your eyes in your own words. Just pray that and, and, and fortify your heart and say, God, make me ready. Maybe you're already facing opposition, but if you're not, you will be facing opposition. I can guarantee you that. So prepare now, just in your own words. Just say, God, make me ready.
Father God, we just come and consecrate ourselves to you. We thank you, Lord. You are so good, Lord. Your word is so amazing, Lord. It's so inspiring. It's so instructing, Lord. It's, it's so powerful, so relevant, Lord God. And, and Lord, we, we just want to pray, Lord God, that like Nehemiah, we will hide your word in our hearts, that we might not sin against you, and so that we might go out into this world which needs both which needs us to be deeply spiritual and deeply practical at the same time. And that, like Nehemiah, we'll be able to do that. We'll be able to pray to our God and post a God and do both at the same time so that the world can see how we ought to live. And I just pray your blessing over your people. Lord, where there are people, Lord, who are, who are teachers and engineers and, and housewives and, 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 and parents and whatever, Lord God, I... I each of us needs to know how in our context we need to pray to God and post to God. Each of us needs to know how we need to be deeply spiritual and deeply practical at the same time, Lord God. And I just pray for each and every person here that you'll bless them with that wisdom, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you'll bless us, Lord, individually and corporately with, Lord, that habit, that knee-jerk reaction of prayer. Whenever something happens, good or bad, that our first response will be to turn our hearts to you and to pray to pray continuously in Jesus' name. I just bless your people. Go in the grace and the favor of the Lord and go and pray to God and post to God in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.